How are you all this morning? You doing well? That's good. Oh, just sign in here and make sure that we're all ready. We won't spill the coffee anywhere because that would not be good. I'm so excited to be here this morning. For me, this is like, like I, it was hard to get in because there are so many people that I just want to visit with. It's like coming home, you know, in a way. Like you're just coming to visit family. I love it. So thank you for being so welcoming. Um, thank you for... I mean, everything. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Some of you know uh, my husband, Greg, and I. Some of you don't. I'll just give you a brief introduction to who I am and what I do. And our family, we have four kids, and they're growing and doing great. Greg and I minister in Winnipeg, and I'm at the University of Manitoba uh, ministering to students. And Greg is at Converge Community Church right across the street from the campus. And so there's a lot of interconnection between the two ministries. We do our best to like work together um, to proclaim the good news of Jesus where we're at. So we've got a couple questions, and I want you to take just like two minutes and talk to your neighbor. This is kind of weird maybe for some of you, but at our church on Saturday nights, we meet around tables, and there's always discussion, always discussion. So I would like for you just to turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself if you don't know your neighbor yet. What a great way to introduce yourself, to get to, get to know your neighbor. And just, you have two minutes. What is something that you are really interested in learning about, and when did you learn something that changed your life as a kid or as an adult, and what happened? So go, two minutes. We're going to read a passage of scripture today. Um, I've been really uh, taken with a question that Pilate asked Jesus, even though he didn't really want to know the answer. I've been really taken this, with this question, what is truth? Pilate had turned to Jesus at one point and said, what is truth? And then turns and walks away, doesn't really want an answer. But that question has really captured my heart. So we're going to go into John 18, 28 to 40, and I invite you at some point in the next, uh, we're heading into the season of Lent, maybe you want to read the whole gospel of John, the fourth gospel, and just get a little bit more of the context for this. But we're going to start with this, we're, the, we're at the trial of Jesus before, uh, before Pilate. So let's read this together. Can we do that together? Yes? Out loud, everyone together. Okay, here we go. Then... To the Roman, they did not go into the governor's residence, so they would not be ceremonially defiled, but could eat the Passover meal. So Pilate came outside to them and said, "What accusation do you bring against this man?" They replied, "If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you." But Pilate told them, take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law. The Jewish leaders replied, we cannot legally put anyone to death. This happened to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken when he indicated what kind of death Jesus replied, are you saying this on your own initiative or have others told you about me? 
Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. For this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked, what is truth? When he had asked this, he went back outside to the Jewish leaders and announced, I find no basis for an accusation against him. But it is your custom that I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release? Yeah. Then? Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Interesting, hey? That they were going to ask for a revolutionary and that's what they were accusing Jesus of being? Man. So we're going to focus uh, on three characters in this story. Um, you know, at, at this point, Jesus had been apprehended. Um, he's taken what the Jewish leaders have thrown at him, and now he's been handed over to Pilate, um, over to the Roman authorities. So let's look a little bit at Pilate. Then we're going to look a little bit at the Jewish leaders. We're going to come to Jesus, and then I'm going to tie all this together for you and just share a few stories from campus. Are we good with that? Cool. All right. Let's go to Pilate first. So, Pilate, he's representing the Roman powers, which interestingly enough, they are the ones who are subjugating the Israelites, the Jewish people at this time. And he asks this rhetorical question, what is truth? And then abruptly turns and leaves and seems to not want an answer, even though Jesus seems to be inviting him into a curiosity about truth, right? He wants dialogue. And he's not, Jesus is not defending himself. But about Pilate, the other thing is, he doesn't care about the kingdom. He does not seem to care about this kingdom that's not from here that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is trying to intrigue him with. He's not interested in a different kind of kingdom. The third thing is, his desire is to maintain power, not to execute justice. He really wants to maintain power. Now, how does he demonstrate this? Well, a couple of ways. The first way that we see ultimately is that he does have Jesus executed. So he's trying to maintain power, and that results in Jesus' death. Also, he's trying to maintain power by pushing the decision back on to the Jewish leaders, right? He's trying to get them to make the choice. Um, we see it even later in chapter 19, where there's continued dialogue. Uh, he had them choose between Jesus and Barabbas, right? Which is, like I mentioned before, is kind of funny because Barabbas was a known revolutionary, and that's what they were accusing Jesus of being. And in order to uh, maintain his power, the authority that he had for himself, he pushed this back because he didn't want to be seen as being told what to do by the people under his authority, under his power. 
these people are my subjects. They're telling me what to do. I'm going to push it back to them so I'm not perceived as a leader who is being told what to do and is following through on what their demands are, right? So in relation to Jesus, we see that Pilate, his goal is not to seek truth, where we know that Jesus is the truth, right? So Pilate, he cares more about power than he cares about truth. And the great irony is here, he asks, what is truth? And who does he ask it to? The truth. He asks Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, what is truth? And then turns, walks away. Turns and walks away. The truth is standing in front of him. John 19.10 says that the... Um, so Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know I have the authority to, re to release you and to crucify you? The Jewish leaders brought Pilate, the author of life. But Pilate felt as though he had the power of life and death. Interesting, hey? Okay, let's move on to a little bit about the Jewish leaders in this dialogue here. John 12, 19 says that the Jewish leaders are afraid of the popularity of Jesus. Why? Because it says that many people, many Jews, many people were believing in him. And so it, to them, it's removing their power. It's moving, removing their influence. Also, they were afraid that the Romans would come in and take away what little power they had. It would take away their place of worship. They would take away their authority. It would take away their power. So in John eleven forty eight, the Jewish leaders indicate that they are afraid of this, of the Romans taking away their holy place, their holy nation, where they have this little bit of control, this little bit of power. And in John 18, 28, which we've read, the Jewish leaders demonstrated that they really, really cared about their ritual purity, so much so that they would not enter Pilate's residence where Pilate was because that would make them ritually impure, and so they wouldn't be allowed to participate in the Passover festival. So they cared more about their ritual purity than they cared about truth and justice. Explain this to me. How does this work? That we care, that they cared more about truth and more about their ritual purity than they cared about truth and justice. The Jewish leaders also issued demands of Pilate for the execution of Jesus, which is a power move, right? It's a total power move, and it's, a, it's an attempt to get their way and not lose what they held so dear power. Power. John 19, 15, um, there's a little bit of irony here, that Jesus is proclaiming truth. Jesus is proclaiming truth. He's revealing God. And the Jewish leaders profess to be serving this God and are celebrating the salvation of God that the Passover festival represents. So much so that they're like being so careful to maintain their ritual purity. And yet, in order to maintain power, they proclaim in John 19, 15, that they have no king but Caesar. This is emperor worship. So they care so much about participating in the Passover that what do they start to, to serving this God? But then what do they do? They, they proclaim allegiance to another God. By proclaiming Caesar as their king, 
That's, they're participating in emperor worship. They're giving allegiance to another god. Why? Power. Maintain power. Their desire to maintain power, place, influence overrides their desire for truth. And what is the result? Violence. The result is violence. The Jewish leaders brought Jesus, the Passover lamb, to be slaughtered and did not recognize him as the fulfillment of the Passover that they were celebrating. Ultimately, their pursuit of power opened them up. Listen to me. The pursuit of power opened them up to perpetrating acts of violence, which kept them from pursuing truth. Trials, what are they supposed to be about? Trials, this is where we're at here in in a trial situation. Trials are meant to seek justice, to find the truth. This trial, however, is demonstrated with a desire to maintain power and control. All right, let's move over to Jesus. So a couple things about Jesus. Jesus proclaims, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he doesn't give this to Pilate because Pilate's really not interested. He says this earlier to Thomas, one of the disciples. So it's not like Jesus doesn't answer the question, what is truth? He does answer it, and that's demonstrated in the book of John, but Pilate doesn't recognize it. Second thing is that Jesus speaks of a different kingdom, a different kingdom that involves listening to the voice of Jesus, the one who testifies, bears witness to the truth. Jesus also flips the script. (laughs) He is being portrayed as the accused. The Jewish leaders and Pilate are portraying Jesus as the accused, the one who's got to answer for himself, right? But Jesus flips that and becomes the witness. He's bearing witness to the truth, to the source of the truth. Jesus was not seeking his own glory apart from the Trinity, the community of God, or offering a teaching that was created in isolation solely of his own self. Because if he had done that, he would have torn apart the community of God. The Trinity would have been torn. But no, he doesn't do that. He bears witness to the truth. John seven sixteen says, my teaching is not from me, but from the one who sent me. He didn't create a teaching in isolation, but bears witness to God and the character of God. Joanne Brandt, a theologian I've been reading recently, says, Jesus' purpose in coming into the world is to serve as God's agent of redemption. Therefore, the truth to which he testifies is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. John 1, verses 17 and 18 say, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only one, himself God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So we know that God revealed 
his character to Moses on Mount Sinai. If we look back in Exodus, we do in a little Old Testament kind of check, right? But now it is fully fleshed out in the life and ministry of Jesus. We can see clearly that Jesus did not advocate violence to take power because his rule is of a different kingdom, not of this world. His rule is of a different kingdom, not of this world. His instrument of power is not violence, but bearing witness. Bearing witness to point to truth, to the point of death. To point to truth, to the point of death. Jesus could have been seduced by power in the desert, you know, the 40 days in the wilderness. He could have been seduced by power. Then it was offered to him, wasn't it? But he didn't take it. He was not seduced by the lure of power offered to him. Now, for us, there are power, you might have heard this term like power dynamics. There are power dynamics in play in many of our relationships. You've got, I'll give you an example, boss, employee, right? You've got, you know, counselor, counselee. You've got parent, child, husband, wife. There are all kinds of power dynamics that that go on in our relationships. And we can think about that for a moment and think like where others hold some sort of power. These Jewish leaders are trying to maintain power. Pilate's trying to maintain power. What happens? When we open ourselves up to pursuing power, we open ourselves up to being perpetrators of violence. Great violence, small violence. We open up ourselves to sacrificing others on the altar of our truth, like the Jewish leaders who felt like they knew everything and had it all together. Only God is the possessor of absolute truth. I'm a finite being. I need God to teach me who I am, who I ought to be, and how to get there. I have the scripture. I have the spirit of truth. And we can receive revelation about who we are, who we ought to be, and the help that we need to become who we are to be. But I've got to remember that I am not the truth. I am not the truth. Jesus died revealing the truth. He teaches me that the truth, God, matters more than my own individual self, matters more than our communal self, and we must listen to his voice as he reveals God. And understand that violence, great or small, can come as I pursue power. I must not use violent acts in my words, in my deeds, as a tool for persuasion. I must not. That is so far from truth, right? So far from truth. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not what Jesus came to reveal. What can I do, though? 
I can listen to Jesus. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice is what he says. And I would like to be a person who listens to his voice. I would like to be a person, like in John 8, 31, 32, says, if you, fo- if you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. I want to be that person. I want to be that person. I am still captured by the question, what is truth? And pray that God reveals it to me, to you, and that I wouldn't be the person that would stand in front of truth incarnate and turn and walk away. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about students and just thank you for your support. We've got a few photos that I can share. Um, on the left here, I'll just tell you quickly about the, this, the photos. The one on the left here, these, this is a university center, and we're just sharing, 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 meeting a lot of people. So that was actually in the U of M hoodie there. That's our daughter, Brienne, our third daughter, um, our third child. And on the right-hand side here, these are two amazing people. One is alumni, and one is a current leader. They're just, uh, we got new hoodies, and so they're like, Look at our new hoodies. But this is really fun for me to see our alumni investing in the lives of the current students. This is a beautiful thing. Okay, the next one. Here we are. This was last night, actually, after our church meets on Saturday nights, and afterwards we had a games night uh, for students. The room is just packed full. They are having a great time, and apparently they didn't end until like 2 a.m. So I'm, I was on the road. Greg and I came last night, so I was not there till 2 a.m. All right, the next one. This is, I, uh, we have tech-free lunch every Friday, and this is where I want to stop for just a minute. Tech-free lunch has been uh, a joy for me. It is where I invest a lot of my time and a lot of my energy. We have now nearly 50 students coming every week. They come in, they take off their shoes, they grab a slice of pizza, they join the circle, and we just talk. We're learning together how to dialogue, phones put away, look each other in the eye, And they're inviting their friends to come. And their friends are coming. Their friends are staying. And it's a beautiful thing to watch them from moving from, like, you know, not really wanting to say anything in our conversations to then engaging, maybe saying something a little controversial to see kind of how you'll receive them, then finding a sense of belonging and then starting to ask questions. Who are these guys? What are they really about? Why do they care about me? And the progression carries down, and I'm sure you can think about what's happening. It's been beautiful to watch students as they've been thinking about big, deep questions, considering faith. I love tech-free lunch. We've also had something unique. Greg had uh, some of the young men back to our place to chop wood and learn how to make steaks. Like, that's ministry, right? (laughs) It was great. They wanted to learn how to use these tools And it was amazing. They're really looking for relationship, someone who can invest in their lives, right? So they learn how to use a chainsaw, they learn how to use an ax, and they learn how to make a steak. I got a steak out of it, so I'm not complaining. (laughs) It was great. But really, like being in a team, investing in lives of students is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me tell you about the leaders in this group. We are helping students who are working through their own owning of, their own owning of their faith. 
for themselves. They are connecting their faith to their daily lives and they are growing. I asked one of the students the other day, like, where do you see God? Where are you seeing God at work on the campus? And she told me about the, the lives that she has seen that are being transformed and the beauty of it and how she is excited about doing ministry. These are leaders who are being empowered for ministry where they're at now. Like now, they're doing it. They're getting it. And their faith is connecting very, very deeply into their daily lives. We have so many people who are looking for inclusion. Someone see me. Where do I belong? And they're finding it. Some are exploring faith for the first time. Some are just being introduced to the truth. They're just being introduced. So I want to thank you because, yeah, we have pizza at Tech Free Lunch every week. And I could just challenge you to say, like, could you support by paying for one tech-free lunch, one pizza meal for 50 students every week. I could challenge you and ask you for that, but I'm not going to because I want to talk to you just for a second about presence. What you're funding, sure, there is a line in the budget for pizza, yes, but what you're actually funding is presence. That's what you're funding. That's what you're supporting is presence. Anyone can buy pizza and have it delivered but you're funding presence. I get to do this daily with students. And I wanna thank you for allowing me to be an extension of this community, loving people where they're at, welcoming people, hugging. I give so many hugs in a day, so many hugs. They need presence. We need presence. As an extension of this community, I'm sent to bring good news. And I want to thank you for supporting the ones who lack faith, the ones with doubt, the ones who are learning to be disciples, the ones who have a lot of questions, the ones who are suffering, and the ones who are thriving. It is my joy to be an extension of this community. Can I pray for you? We just take a moment to pray together. God, I want to thank you that we can pursue truth together. We can pursue you and we don't have to pursue power, a power that opens us up to being perpetrators of acts of violence, big or small. God, where we have where we have pursued power and we all have, Lord, we confess. When we've some, said something to get our own way, that it, we acknowledge is pursuit of power. Forgive us for that act of violence. God, our desire is to pursue you 
you tell us you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us connect these dots, Lord. Help us to have courage to see where we have pursued power and not pursued truth. Give us the courage, God, to stand before you open. Open to your teaching, open to your correction, open to your guidance, open to your spirit, open to your word. God, we take the walls down now. May this place, may these people be the ones who guide people to truth. Who point people to you, Jesus. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for being truth, revealing truth. We pray that truth is revealed in this community, that truth is revealed where I am at the U of M working with students. We will pursue you, God, first and foremost. Jesus' name. Amen.